0: Welcome to Vincent Price's laugh.
1: Good evening, LB.
2: Hello, Andrew.
1: So it's <laughs> summer.
2: Yes, it's July now. It's hot. Hot.
1: What better thing to do than stay inside. And if you want to go watch a movie, maybe go to a movie theater, air-conditioned, preferably. Yeah. Or hit the drive-in, sort of. I mean, not down here. Way too hot still.
2: Yeah, it is. It's like 98 degrees at 10 o'clock at night.
1: Yeah, it's not good. I opened the door just now to put the cat out, and she didn't want to go out. And it was just this hot breath of some... Satan? Yeah, I was going to say a dragon of some sort. <laughs> but yes, Satan's hot breath. That's the wind down here in South Texas. <laughs> oh, speaking of Texas, tonight we're going to be talking about Grindhouse. From the
3: directors of Reservoir Dogs, Desperado, Pulp Fiction, From Dusk Till Dawn, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Kill Bill, and Sin City, Tarantino and Rodriguez are back. Only this time, they're back to back with a double feature that'll tear you in two. First, I got bit bit but what if i told you you probably wouldn't believe me Ah! robert rodriguez planet terror plus fair lady your chariot awaits quentin tarantino's death proof
4: do i frighten you
3: is it my scar it's your car two no holds barred feature length motion pictures for the price of one planet terror and death proof only at the Grindhouse
1: Which is a Texas film
2: mm-hmm, Mostly Mostly, yeah This year, 2017 marks the 10 year anniversary of not only our marriage
1: Our marriage movie, which is Grindhouse Yes Because we were super excited, it came out around the same time as when we got married And we were like, well, let's go see it, we're a married couple, let's go see it And it's significant somehow
2: Did we go at midnight? I feel like we went at midnight I don't remember I think I just we did.
1: just know that um, it was a long haul. Yeah. Because the movie is about three hours long.
2: We were one of, I don't know, like just a few other groups of people in the theater. Yeah, there weren't many. Uh, unfortunately, not many people went to see this movie. It was very much hyped.
1: Yeah, Comic-Con oh, yeah. had a bunch of buzz about it and they talked this movie up so much Tarantino in his way and Robert Rodriguez in his much more subdued way (laughs) talking up this film and how it came about Then when I did Sin City I kind of thought well that kind of
3: took took the place of that you know sort of shorter film format and kind of gave up the idea until I went to go show Quentin his segment of Sin City at his house and there on the floor in his you know littered I live in room four. My okay. collectible living room. I live in a collectible, uh,
4: Spanish-style mansion.
3: <laughs> but I think about board games, and videos, film and friends. lobby cards, and film prints everywhere. And there's the same double Bill poster that yeah.
1: I
2: had. Yeah, the say
3: there's Rock stuff. All Night and Drag Strip Girl.
1: And I went, shit, I had that poster on. You know what, I had this idea
3: about a year ago. Oh, wait, what was the idea? Do a double feature. I said, you should do one and I'll do the other. And right then he said, oh, we'll call it Grindhouse. We have to call it Grindhouse.
1: There was a bunch of buzz around this movie at the Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con.
2: What other Comic-Con is there?
1: Well, now a billion, like a ton, a bunch of them. Yeah. And they're all part of the same organization. But at the time, 2006, they were really pushing this. hmm And they're really excited and giddy, and as well they should have been. But once this came out in the theater, it was a little bit like uh, Scott Pilgrim, where the internet was like, ooh, 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 you heard about this movie? Grindhouse is going to be a double feature, like the, like the old, what's a Grindhouse? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, there's going to, uh... Hey, what's a grindhouse? Yeah. So the internet had to explain what a grindhouse is, which, uh, I mean, we'll do right now.
2: Grindhouse came about in the 60s and 70s as movie houses that would try to bring in customers by showing exploitation films, and they a lot of times would kind of double as like a nightclub with maybe a strip performance. Or burlesque performance. Go-go dancers. <laughs> yeah, something kind of sleazy. Where you get maybe the term grind from. Yeah, and they were mostly dirty places.
1: Bump and grind. So, part of the thing about the 70s that makes me really skeevy, I, I get the heebie-jeebies from the 70s, is how grimy the cities are depicted in mm-hmm. culture, be it newsreels or news footage. Newsreels. News footage.
2: Oh, <laughs> it's 1940 yeah, again. Yeah. 1940s. <laughs> 1979 was a
1: horrible place in the 1940s. What? That doesn't make any sense. But news footage or documentaries. Or even how films depict it. I've mentioned this before, I can handle Taxi Driver because the visuals were handled amazingly. But a lot of the films showed this grimy side and it just totally brings me down, man. Mm. And Grindhouses were in that grimy area of town, always. Yeah. They would show pornos and exploitation films and stuff like this. Mm
2: hmm. Mm-hmm. Triple X.
1: Yeah. Or just
2: X. Etc. So thinking about why this this double feature of Planet Terror and Death Proof didn't really take off in the theater, it, it's kind of strange to me because there was so much hype. There was so much like, oh, wow, that's such a cool idea. And oh, I love exploitation movies. And it, it like appeals to the sort of nostalgia that people have, except the thing is most of the population who the set of movies is marketed Towards weren't really a part of that seventies no. thing.
1: I was born in nineteen seventy four, mm-hmm. and I did not experience drive-ins, and I did not experience grimy movie houses.
2: No, I, I didn't either. I, I went to the drive-in as a kid uh, in the early 80s.
1: But my experience is slightly different than everybody else's because I was raised in part in Europe uh-huh. in my earlier years. So the movie theater that I had was like a military base movie theater. So it wasn't like Americana, American-style movie going.
2: Mm -hmm. I definitely did not have the Grindhouse experience and Like in my early 20s or mid 20s I watched some exploitation movies And not, not really knowing too much about the genre and
1: well exploitation does cover a lot of different yeah, genres. Yeah, that's true.
2: There's a lot of sub genres. Yeah.
1: So as a blanket, there's tons of stuff that you and I both watched mm-hmm. on TV constantly because TV would get these packages of films from distributors. Yeah. And they would be like here, this is their cheapest package and you're a little tiny TV station and you need to fill the air. Yeah. So here, take this for however few thousand dollars And then they would run these crazy, zany movies or sleazy movies on a weekend, blocks of these things, and we'd catch those. And that was our window into the grindhouse or drive-in stuff.
2: Right. So this set of films really, like, they're they're trying to market to this this nostalgia base, but it's just kind of, it doesn't hit that mark.
1: Because all those people who they're marketing towards are the younger cinephiles who never experienced that or very Uh rarely experienced it. And the older folks, are
2: just they're
1: just too busy.
2: Yeah, they don't really want to go see a double feature in a, in a movie theater.
1: It's <laughs> so long.
2: Yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to fault these filmmakers because it is a really cool idea. It
1: was a good experiment.
2: Yeah, it really was. And I, I kind of do wish that it would have taken off. Now, they did make a movie of Machete. Yeah of course and machete kills later but like it's not the double feature like the the idea behind grindhouse was to have a series of double features am, am i right
1: i'm not sure about the series of double features but i definitely know this movie was in- incepted as two one-hour movies Mm -hmm. And then they expanded those one hours for the American market into an hour and a half. And for the European market, even longer. Yeah. And separate. Mm -hmm. So in America, we got it as a double bill. In Europe, they got them as separate films. Oh, okay. The extended versions that we got in America on DVD and Blu-ray later, those are the European cuts. Mm. With extra footage that was cut out with bad film Mm. reels and missing scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the double feature. Mm-hmm. But I think if they were going to continue on with Grindhouse Presents Machete, mm-hmm. it should just be a single feature. Right. I think that personally, because I just don't want to sit in the theater for <laughs> so long. <laughs> so the film starts off with a trailer for Machete. They called him Machete.
3: He was given an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> Set up. Double-crossed and left foot dead. He knows the score. He gets the women. And he kills the bad guys. But they soon realize they just f***ed with the wrong Mexican. Action. Suspense. Emotion. If you're gonna hire Machete to kill the bad guy, you better make damn sure the bad guy. Is it you? Machete. Rated X. Mm
1: -hmm. Which is similar to the actual trailer we got for the real film Machete. (laughs) It's just replacing a couple of actors. Actors, The real film has Robert De Niro and Shea Wiggum in Uh pivotal roles. Uh Well, this trailer has Jeff Fahey and the set designer of these movies in those same roles oh, okay so it starts off with machete
2: which is a really great like like a really strong starting off point M- machete is so cool I, I i feel like such a dork saying that but machete is really cool and i feel bad right now because i feel like i should be saying machete <laughs> machete <laughs> I'm,
1: machete i'm sorry but well that's why it was turned into a film yeah. because the concept was so strong yeah and the character had been around already featured Somewhat in Desperado, but he had a bunch of knives and not machetes. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't really, I don't think they named him, but definitely featured as Uncle Machete <laughs> in Spy Kids movies. <laughs>
2: Uncle Machete. Yeah. So. Tio Machete.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's
2: funny. You know, side note, I really would like to, since we've moved to Texas and we are literally 10 miles from Mexico, I really want to watch all of Robert Rodriguez's films again. Yeah. I feel feel like I would gain a greater appreciation for them, hmm. noticing little things that like, oh wow, I actually know a little bit about Mexican culture now. So Yeah,
1: like, hmm, like, faculty. Faculty has a <laughs> lot to do with, no, it only has a little bit to do with Texas culture, and that's the football team.
2: You know, Robert Rodriguez came up with the idea for Planet Terror while he was making the faculty. Ah! He wrote that script, the initial treatment for the script came from 1998. Oh, wow. When he was talking to Josh Hartnett and Elijah Wood, and he was like, hey, guys, you know what? Zombie movies are going to come back, and I'm going to write a zombie movie script. You just wait and see. It's going to be huge.
1: (laughs) He sounds like you're you're depicting him. Uh You're making him sound like a little dweeby kid who's (laughs) trying to impress the big jock (laughs) cool guys or whatever. And they're like, get out of my way, kid. Even Elijah Wood, who's like, (laughs) four or something is a towering behemoth over your depiction of robert rodriguez
2: <laughs> robert rodriguez one of the most uh machismo men yeah in texas <laughs> just you wait
1: sorry that's just how it sounded anyway so so seeing as it's a presentation of a double feature i don't think we saw any trailers before the movie i think it was just machete the movie then trailers the movie That's how it worked.
2: Yeah, I don't remember, but yeah, maybe.
1: So Rose McGowan plays Cherry Darling. She's a go-go dancer who, I don't understand this, she checks out with her finger and her slip.
4: Any girl leaving early must check out with her finger
2: and have a bye-bye slip.
1: I don't know what her finger is.
2: I don't understand that either. I was thinking maybe that's some sort of strip club lingo. I mean, I don't know why it would be. Right, But
1: because she's a go-go dancer, not a stripper.
2: Yeah, okay, fine.
1: Go-go, no, she works in a strip club. <laughs> As you see, the other girls around her are strippers, and they've got pasties on, and they're making out with each other back behind the scenes. Damn it, girls. You're going to do that? Do it on stage!
2: Yeah, but check out with your finger and get a bye-bye slip. I, yeah, I don't really understand what that means None at all. None of that it seems as if it's just written so that she can flip them off and take money which is exactly what she does yeah so i don't, I don't know but
1: yeah. yeah I i don't i don't get it
2: it's, it's not something to be hung up on though
1: but every time i watch the movie <laughs> i get hung up on it every single time i'm like but excuse me that detail i don't <laughs> um pardon sir roderick Mr. I don't so uh she leaves. She quits her job because she's gonna be a stand-up comedian. And she's not really funny. And is that the point? Yes. That she's actually not very funny? Yes. Or is that supposed to be funny that she's just dry?
2: She doesn't really want to be a stand-up comedian. It's just that people tell her that she ought to be a comedian because they think they think she's funny. In the same way of when someone tells you something that is an obvious joke, like something is funny to a everybody but it's like a really normal kind of funny
1: example my kids got his license just this past week somebody else says
2: uh-oh look out
1: and the whole room laughs, <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> uh, yeah do we actually really think that's funny no nobody in the room thinks that's funny. i think
2: people do but people who uh, are smart <laughs> don't <laughs>
1: <laughs> there goes all of our audience <laughs> Because if you're listening to this show, you're a dummy. Maybe. (laughs) Probably not. I'm just joking. I don't think... I mean, I'm just saying that we're not that good.
2: Speak for yourself.
1: I am. The we was about all the voices in my brains. Uh Uh-huh. She nearly gets knocked over. Well, she does get knocked over, and she scrapes her leg by some traffic going by, and they're stupid we don't know what's going on they're just drive by it's kind of like a convoy and then she just hobbles her way to a barbecue pit and hangs out there and that's jeff fahey's place Mm -hmm. and he and his brother who is played by michael bean who's playing the sheriff Uh uh-huh they have a, a little sparring going throughout the entire film about the barbecue sauce
2: because texans are very protective of their barbecue sauces right including lyndon johnson just by the way.
1: By the by the way. Okay. <laughs> I think he was. I don't think he is.
2: Oh well yeah, he died in nineteen seventy three. So. Right.
1: So there you go.
2: Okay. He was. A
1: couple of the deputies of the sheriff are played by Tom Savini uh-huh. and the original El Mariachi.
2: Mm-hmm. Carlos. Carlos.
1: And that's a that's a cool thing that he brought in his old buddy. Yeah. He's like, hey. You wanna be in a movie? Deputy. You get killed. It's cool. All the deputies get killed. So, there's this overall mad science military plot going on, which is how The zombies happen in this film. It has to do with a bunch of military men having killed bin Laden kind of on accident. Mm -hmm. Headed by Bruce Willis, this group of commandos, Mm -hmm. like kind of like a SEAL Team 6, took out bin Laden.
2: You know, Bruce Willis, if you notice, none of the scenes that he's in show any other actors on screen with him.
1: Right, because it's always like somebody from afar, and Uh it's a stand-in. Right. And when it pushes in, it's him just standing there.
2: Right, so it's kind of the an homage to uh, when old films or even, current, e- even films. current films but eric
1: roberts movies
2: yeah especially eric roberts movies where you hire a, a big actor or you know a name actor to be in your film you shoot in a day he's in the film for like five minutes at best hmm but that actor is featured predominantly on the cover of the video or in the movie poster marketing yeah and it's you know planet terror starring Bruce Willis yeah You know, she's in it for two seconds.
1: Right, and he's just there to get the ball rolling and then to have this little bit of expository at the end about how it happens. You want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. And then he turns into a big old blob of goo monster, and Uh then they kill him off screen, which is the weirdest thing when they kill him. They don't show it. They show all these other moments where these zombie (laughs) monsters are big blobby and stuff, and you expect to see these explosions of goo. Uh But when they kill him, it's just like they didn't shoot that scene. I kind of disappointed. That. I wanted to see a, an explosion of goo.
2: <laughs> okay. You know, this film is hard to talk about because there's a lot of, like, meanwhile.
1: Yeah, and then.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's it's very compartmentalized, but it doesn't feel li- like it's not worse for that.
1: No, it, everything has a smooth transition from uh-huh. thing to thing. So, what you're talking about are the somewhat subgenres within this film uh-huh. and styles of films that they're referencing in this yeah. film. Yeah. Like the psychosexual psychodrama between the Block Doctors, Dr. Block and Dr. Block. Yeah. That is shot in a very...
2: Giallo sort of way?
1: I'm not going to say Giallo. I'm going to say Italian. Okay. But not Giallo. Giallo is always like the hidden hand it's a slasher sort of thing and this it's more I don't know like it's just psycho sexual dramas. (laughs) Yeah. From the late sixties. That or in early seventies. That's what it reminds me of. And I say Italian style because Italy had a lot of sexual themes and overtones in their films.
2: They're a very sexual people.
1: I I guess so right? I don't know. I suppose so. (laughs) What with her girlfriend coming into town and her plot to kill him. Her and him are Marley Shelton, Doctor Block, and James Brolin.
2: Josh Brolin. <laughs>
1: well, there's a scene in this film where he looks a lot like his dad. It's just one scene. It's just a profile shot, and he's got the goatee on, and he looks exactly like his dad. but he Well, not exactly. Half of his face <laughs> is a pustle thing. And that's the B plot, I think. Mm-hmm. And that comes up here and there and I don't know why he does it, Rodriguez. He has this bit about the little boy who's introduced in my favorite way. He's playing with his toys and he says,
2: Going to eat your brains and gain your knowledge. I really love how he sings that. It's very sing-songy and cute kid thing, but not precocious.
1: And then, the mom, while trying to get out of town, because of all this zombie mayhem is happening, and she learns that her girlfriend has been obliterated, probably by zombies, she goes home, and she gives the kid a gun and says,
0: Now, take the gun. And if anyone comes to the door, that isn't me. I want you to shoot them, okay? I'm not kidding, Tony. You shoot them. Just like your video game shoot
4: them in the head what if it's dad
0: especially if it's your dad
1: and then the kid shoots himself robert i understand you don't want kids playing with guns and you're making a statement about guns are dangerous in the wrong hands and so they just Mm -hmm. shouldn't be in most hands at all Mm -hmm. i understand and i agree but i don't know it just kind of like stopped the movie for that moment and made you feel really bad in the middle of a silly monster movie, you know?
2: Well, like you said, there's a message to it. You know, the film takes place in Texas, and what is big in Texas other than barbecue?
1: Games.
2: Yeah, so in this film... Th- Film, guns are everywhere too. Mm-hmm. Freddie Rodriguez's character, uh, El Rey. El Rey. really, he's not allowed to have guns. You know, uh, Michael Bay won't give him a gun. Or he, you know, like there's a lot of focus on guns in this, and they're really nonchalant about it. And then Tony, the kid, getting his hands on a gun, it really is a statement of guns are serious. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had as big of a problem with that scene as you seem to have, but that that's not. say that I wasn't affected by it. Well,
1: you hate children, so.
2: (laughs) I like that kid. (laughs) I like little rebel Rodriguez.
1: Sure, I know. Just poking at you.
2: (laughs) Okay. So, I don't know. The thing about exploitation films, and this is weird to me because I'm conflicted because I'm not sure whether they're celebrating something or if they're satirizing something.
1: Well, in this, I think they're actually doing both. This came out in 2007, and the cultural climate in 2007 is similar to what's here right now, Mm -hmm. except it was a little lax back then so that this could come out in the theater. And the only way to get this kind of a material into the theater is to present it in a satirical way. Mm-hmm. Like Deadpool, rated R, it's douchey. Yes. It's somewhat sleazy. Yes. But it's also presented as satire on all of the above and comic books. So now this movie would have to probably turn up the tongue in cheek way more uh-huh. in order to be super obvious as to not ruffle certain feathers right now about the sleaze factor and about how women are depicted
2: well i don't know exactly because those of us who really enjoy exploitation films are also still of the mind these days you know of that like hey, women are treated in this way in a lot of movies and it's really not cool. But, you know, I still like those 70s films, which is kind of contradictory. But it's, like I said, it's difficult because you have this one thing that is showing this stuff.
1: There definitely are movies that have attitudes of disdain towards the female characters. Yeah. On the other hand, let's be about equality for a second. Most of these movies also absolutely represent men in the worst possible ways as well. Yeah. So it's exploiting everybody right. involved. And it's also, depending on how you view it, exploiting our feelings about these topics. Sure. Pushing certain buttons uh-huh. and so on.
2: Yeah. But what's interesting about exploitation films though to me is that you know, genre filmmaking is I think the only say genre again, but really genre that can have these types of messages that are allusions to certain issues or problems. Social ills.
1: It's similar yeah. to what we were talking about right. with science fiction films right. being able to address philosophical
2: questions. Right. This is more social that, questions. Yeah, that kind of or, thing. Like I mean the really obvious example is George Romero and all and all his zombie films, you know, making comments on American culture and consumerism and blah, blah, blah. We all know this. Yeah. Something like Invasion of the Body Snatchers was... Communism. Yeah, the Red Scare. Um, and stuff like that. It's really interesting because these genre pictures they hide these issues and get their message across to people who wouldn't normally seek out or think about these types of issues and they're getting these messages and they might not even know it so the exploitation films is still it's so tricky to me and i hate to be a type of person who can't make up their mind about these things because really like you need to take a stand on something or you need to you know dismiss something right and i'm like i am so conflicted on what to do or what to think because i see both sides like i see the satire i also see the terrible treatment and the perpetuation of that terrible treatment because that's what you have to be careful with
1: well there's a certain and i can't say how many because i'm not a census and i'm also not a eugenicist. So, But there's a certain number of our populations that will always see whatever they see. TV show, movies, uh-huh. cartoons even, as documentary. Yeah. As a thing that says, this is what's happening. Right. And if then they get some sort of tickle in their nethers about it, uh-huh. they're going to see that as being, for them, a positive or desired fetishized thing. Mm. So there's always going to be a certain amount of those people, and the internet has allowed those type of people to have a voice in the cloud of anonymity that the internet provides. So we hear voices like that, and we think, wow, they're all over the place. But are they, or is it just a select few people who are now able to speak loudly and i think it's that
2: yeah that's probably right we tend to think that the commenters are representative of a huge populace Mm -hmm. but like you said it's really a vocal minority
1: i think yeah the the most despicable or the most vile sounding people Mm -hmm. like that are a minority but man are they loud
2: yeah and that's how you get the negative bias you know like you keep seeing all these awful things and it keeps reinforcing those awful things let's just Go back to talking about Planet Terror.
1: <laughs> so there's this other little genre nod to psycho hot girls. Mm-hmm. The the babysitter twins. Yeah. The crazy babysitter twins. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's just like the movie Knock Knock that Eli Roth just directed. Like probably his only good movie with Keanu Reeves. That was a remake of a movie that came out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Colleen Camp starred in it. And it was the same exact story as Knock Knock. Two girls knock on a guy's door and they hold him hostage and sexually tempt him and possibly get him to compromise himself but then they punish him for it and they be really sadistic now the babysitter twins are a reference to that kind of a movie
2: yeah you're right
1: now this movie's full of insane set pieces it even has the sort of a rape revenge situation but it's very Mm -hmm. brief but tarantino makes a cameo as rapist number one
2: that is his character's name
1: (sighs) it's awful and i'm not sure it's his best performance on screen as an actor Don't taunt me, Tramp. I am not one to be taunted. You got it?
2: (laughs) I don't know if any of his performances on screen as an actor are any sort of best.
1: You've never seen Destiny Turns on the Radio.
2: I don't know if I have. I've definitely seen the Golden Girls where he plays an Elvis person. Right.
1: While Destiny turns on the radio, he plays an Elvis-like character with a pompadour. Yeah, it's similar. And it's bad.
2: He's obsessed with Elvis. Is he obsessed yes. with Elvis? Yes. Huh. He's like an encyclopedia of Elvis.
1: Well, I find the man to be a character, and I like that. His acting chops, not always the best. <laughs> Sometimes they're all right. I don't know why he's an Australian in Django. But whatever, I don't really care. In fact, the best role that he has is as the barkeep in the next movie. But in this one, hmm, he's not so strong. But he turns into a reference to a kind of horror movies that John Carpenter did, like The Thing, Mm -hmm. where he turns into this gelatinous blob and this thing falls out of his face and throws its tentacles out and it's all done backwards so it looks like it reaches out but it's actually reeling in. Mm -hmm. It's special effects BS. There's also other shots that are very Carpenter-like, like like stuff out of the fog or whatever, where the zombies are just standing there looking like they're in a staring contest with somebody, like Prince of Darkness or something. Yeah. Nods. Right. They even use some carpenter music in this film, mm-hmm. and that's from Escape from New York. But they use it; it's just ambient sounds, basically, that he produced for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Freddie Rodriguez said that he modeled his performance after Snake Plissken. Really? Yeah. I Which don't know. Is really I, funny. I, I don't know if I really see that. I don't
1: see it at all. No. His performance is really funny, though.
2: <laughs> He's so serious.
1: He's just staring at her, and he leans forward, and he says his line. That's my jacket. I looked for it for two weeks. It's just really funny, and it's yeah. really odd. And I'm surprised that he said that about Snake Plissken.
2: Yeah. Huh. You know, we have a a, a road here in the Rio Grande Valley called Freddie Gonzalez Boulevard. I think I, I drive on it every day, and every day think Freddie Rodriguez instead of Gonzalez. So um, there's my story about Freddie Rodriguez. <laughs> okay, <that's- laughs> That was a dude. I know. Twists oh my gosh. and turns. It was a oh road, gosh. right?
1: It has twists and turns.
2: Uh no, it's pretty straight.
1: Oh, man.
2: It's two-lane a... though. It's a two-lane blacktop.
1: Oh, nice one.
2: Thank you. Uh
1: which references the next film. But by the end of this one, oh wait. Our heroine is missing a leg. We haven't even talked about <laughs> that. I talked about her scraping her leg and, Yeah. but she's missing a leg. This movie can't work. This it, none of weird. this movie can work. But as it's cut together, it works. It's fine. You just have to not think about the logic of anything.
2: Yeah. We have been mentioning a little bit of different things that uh, Rodriguez is referencing. Normally, I think I would have a problem with such a big hodgepodge of of different types of films that, that we're all familiar with. So segmented, he does it in a way that it doesn't... Feel segmented.
1: So you're talking about satire before. Yeah. And now I'm going to bring up parody. Uh huh. So when you do a movie like Scary Movie, Mm -hmm. it looks at all the movies that we can cram into this one stupid bare bones story and make jokes about yeah so you make jokes about scream you make jokes about aliens you make jokes about saw you make jokes and they're all rapid fire blink and you'll miss it they're all jokes like that constantly 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 it's not satire it's a parody and it's it's a spoof so those movies are desperate for their references yeah they must have the references because at any point you'll get it or you'll miss it. And so you'll want to rewatch it and so on. That's not what this movie does. It no. doesn't hinge on that. No. You don't even have to know the references.
2: Right. It's really organic.
1: That's true. So she has a stump leg for a while, uh, a, a table leg, and then Freddy gives her a machine gun. Don't ask how it can work but it does and she mows down zombies left and right shoots Uh grenades how i don't know
2: with her brain
1: yeah i guess her brain is connected to her leg it is i mean it is she's magic leg shooter lady and it's really funny how her body language is when she's like that
2: they made her wear a cast the entire time so that her leg would be stiff
1: right so her her hobble is actually correct when she's trying to go from point a to point b really quickly Mm -hmm. that hobble is legit yeah yeah it's pretty funny looking though Mm -hmm. and so she ends up being the survivor mama of this whole clan of people mexico put our backs against the ocean and defend ourselves from there two against the world yeah uh, she even sings in the movie.
2: She's a singer. She's also a, a director.
1: At least one short that we've seen. Uh-huh. I don't know if she's done any other. I'm
2: movies. not really sure either, but that short made an impression on me.
1: It's a bit of an exploitation film as well.
2: Yeah. It's a short film called Dawn.
1: Right. It's about a girl who is sweet on a gas station attendant, and that gas station attendant is super charming and maybe dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a nice little short, you can find it online. Check it out. After this movie wraps up, instead of just being the end of it in the regular old theater sort
2: of thing. Mm-hmm there's an intermission
1: and then trailers
2: more trailers the first one is werewolf women of the ss
0: this film is a brilliant achievement in motion picture history finally the truth about hitler's diabolical plans to create a race of super women can be told werewolf women of the ss Welcome to Death Camp 13, home of the Nazis' diabolical plans to create an army of super werewolf soldiers. This project, its failure, will be your demise and the end of Germany Hitler,
3: You have been chosen! (laughs) Rejoice!
0: I have found the perfect solution to she-devils of Belsak. Can they alone supply the blood needed to save Hitler's mad dreams? Or will the pride of Germany ah! fall into ruin? This is my project. We are now in total control of pure whoop! This is an outrage! Featuring Udo Kier, Sherry Moon Zombie, Tom Tolles, Sybil Danning, Bill Mosley, and Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Yes! werewolf women of the ss written and directed by rob
1: zombie i hate this trailer i
2: do too can you tell by how i announced it
1: i'm not sure they could
2: i hate it what's the first indicator the use of the font
1: impact like for real (laughs) impact was not used in films if there's a couple of things i study it's Movie posters and trailers. In fact, of exploitation era, I would rather watch the trailers than the films.
2: Yeah, that's kind of how we. That's kind of how we gained our knowledge about exploitation films. I mean, me especially. I haven't seen a lot of these films. I'm gonna be the first to admit that I have not seen in full or in part a lot of exploitation films. But I have seen a lot of trailer compilations.
1: Yeah, I've
2: and something weird things. Yeah,
1: I'm the guy that's seen a lot more the two of uh-huh. us. But I realized earlier on that I didn't really enjoy a lot of these exploitation films as a whole, but the trailer compilations, I would get my hands on, I would be like, let's watch these. Uh-huh. And it's like watching 80 movies, uh-huh. because they go ahead and show you certain things that are impactful moments of the film in the trailers. It's just like today, I guess, where they just show you too much in the trailer. <laughs> but since it's back then, and it's a junk film, basically, go ahead, just watch the tra- trailer, you get most of it anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's short. And this uses the font impact. (laughs) If you don't remember what the font impact is, it's the font that was largely used on memes in the early days. Just big block font. It doesn't work. It's not supposed to be there. (laughs) And this is Rob Zombie, who directed this, who has a huge collection of trash cinema. But he knows better.
2: Well, he knows better, but... (laughs) Oh, man. He's also
1: an artist and an illustrator. Remember, he did the MTV sets before for, like, Headbangers Ball.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, doing, you know, weird art in Beavis and Butthead to America, like, doesn't make you, like, have an eye for design.
1: Yeah true so what i do in my job being an illustrator is i actually am an illustrator and graphic designer so that i try to cover <laughs> the design aspect of it because i really love uh, graphic design i love mm-hmm. how text can be applied to an image like mo- movie posters i love the exploitation yeah. movie posters
2: yeah most of them are really great
1: and they are better than the movie yeah and as tarantino and rodriguez said they always
4: had the greatest posters but the movies, oftentimes, because they were so cheap, couldn't deliver on the poster. We're gonna make two sleazy grindhouse movies that will deliver on the poster. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And I think they mostly succeeded. All the bonkers stuff that would be on these old type of posters that they did, like, it paid off, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. However, Werewolf Women of the SS
1: has one gimmick, well, actually, a bunch of different gimmicks SS exploitation, Prison Women movies. Uh-huh. werewolves of course mm-hmm. and then Fu Manchu for some reason I was
3: going to have Nick do the part that Bill Mosley did I said Nick will you play a Nazi doctor he goes oh you no know, Rob uh, I can't do that I can't, I can't play a Nazi I can't do that and I'm, right on the spot I go will you play Fu Manchu there was no Fu Manchu I just made it up on the spot he goes yeah I'll do that <laughs> yeah I don't, that's why it makes no sense there was no Fu Manchu it was just something that came out of my mouth so yeah, um, that's how Fu
1: Manchu joined the movie. Well,
2: that's fine, but that doesn't mean that it should be mixed with some Nazis. Well, Nazi it's just movie. a reference.
1: It's just him pulling out a uh, reference. Yeah, I know. I just and think- he's a giant criminal who worked with any bad guy. He's working with the Nazis here. Yeah,
2: I guess so. But you it- just.
1: I don't like the gimmick.
2: I don't like the gimmick, and uh, I would not, I 100% would not want to watch this as a film.
1: No, neither would I.
2: I mean, Udo here is cool in it and all, but no thanks.
1: And Fu Manchu is played by Nicolas Cage.
2: Yeah, which the gimmick of that probably would wear off pretty quickly.
1: Right. It's really obvious that he's wearing a fake mustache yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 It's just super cheap and badly made, and really lame.
2: But hey, you know, it's nice that they threw Rob Zombie a bone to ask them to do this trailer
1: sure what's nicer is don't by edgar wright
2: yeah if
0: you are thinking
3: of going into this house (laughs) don't if you are thinking of opening
0: If you are thinking
3: of checking out the basement... (laughs) Don't...
0: Don't look behind. Don't look in there. Don't look up. Don't look anywhere.
3: Don't scream for help. Don't move a... Don't even breathe.
0: Don't. 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 If you are thinking of seeing this film alone, don't.
1: Don't. This is absolutely my favorite thing in Grindhouse. More than I love Grindhouse as a whole, I love Don't. Yes. And I want Don't to be a full feature.
2: Me too. My goodness.
1: What is Don't
2: referencing? It seems at first like it's a haunted house uh, type of thing, like a haunted mansion, like The Legend of Hell House. Early or, 70s yeah. haunted
1: house stories yeah, from right. Hammer or Late Hammer or right. Amicus films. Like,
2: like you really picture Roddy McDowell. Yeah. in Don't. And then it goes to something like The Unseen. Or yeah. Okay. So on?
1: The Unseen is a kind of a mongoloid baby brain guy yeah. in the basement. Uh-huh. And here you have that multiple.
2: By Nick Frost. By
1: Nick Frost and other stand-ins that look just like him. Uh-huh. And it's totally a reference to that.
2: Then there's Italian horror, like from Fulci.
1: Like the Beyond, where they have the white eyes and heads are exploding.
2: And yeah. And you can even throw in, like, The Omen in there. Yeah. So, Don't is the one that appeals to me the most. Oh, yeah, definitely. like, that's where my bread and butter is.
1: Yeah. Your, your comfort food is yeah. ghost movies. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect we
2: he, he used really good graphic design, too. Yeah,
1: he knew everything. He yeah. knows everything. He, I believe he's a graphic designer, or at least has talent towards it, or at least his brother does, and he can <laughs> right, communicate right. that with him, and they work together like yeah. that, which they did on Shaun of the Dead, at least.
2: Yeah. Don't is the perfect representation in this film.
1: Yeah. The next one is almost, the next one seems like it's a Canadian slasher film, like My Bloody Valentine, or one of these holiday movies, and it is a holiday movie. Movie by Eli Roth called Thanksgiving. This
0: holiday season, prepare to have the stuffing scared out of you. Thanksgiving in the town of Plymouth, Massachusetts. The fourth Thursday in November is the most celebrated day of the year. The table is set, the festivities have begun. What an uninvited guest has arrived. And this year, there will be no leftovers. Thanksgiving. White meat, dark meat, all will be carved. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Cool it, Judy. You're safe. Mommy's here.
4: What? Ah! Son of a bitch.
0: Arrive, hungry. Happy
4: Thanksgiving, Grandma.
0: Did you stop? From Rector Eli Roth. Thanksgiving. You'll come home for the holidays
1: in a body bag.
2: Eli Roth.
1: It almost gets it right. It gets some things right. The parade was fine. And then, I don't know. See, this is the thing. Is Eli Roth making fun of these tropes? Or does he really, really love these tropes? I
2: know. Okay, Eli. I don't... I have a love-hate relationship with Eli because of this. I think he would be a really cool guy to hang out with, except that I don't at all. It's really weird, okay? And the thing about Eli's filmmaking is okay why do we go see movies do we go see movies to be sickened because there's a bunch of gore and and just weird disturbing crap going on or do we go to see a movie to see a story unfold I go see a movie to see the story unfold. But Eli Roth, it seems, makes a movie for the audience to be sickened.
1: Well, he's gotten better, as I said, with Knock Knock. That wasn't sickening.
2: Dude, we watched The Green Inferno. I know, that's I
1: know. That is not a good movie. No, it's not a good movie. Knock Knock is a better movie. The problem with him is that he doesn't understand nuance or subtlety.
2: Yeah, I and mean, you know, I think that's because he grew up in the trauma universe. He
1: did. First time that I knew that he was actually, way into the trauma style stuff that he had a history with that was the release of Bloodsucking freaks on dvd and he did a commentary and i'm like but this is the director of cabin fever mm-hmm. like what and that commentary was done before cabin fever so i'm like what
2: <laughs> who's this guy
1: i guess he loves that schlock
2: he's a resident of traumaville
1: yeah so thanksgiving ends with the killer who's dressed as a pilgrim oh humping the head of one of his victims at the thanksgiving table and it just like
2: why i mean is is that funny i mean i I guess it is
1: it's it's so ha-ha-ha because look at your re- reaction, yeah. especially my reaction, because guess what? I don't like a whole lot of gross things. I can handle tons and tons of monster gore, mm-hmm. rubber suits, fake intestines, sausages all over the place. I can handle things, but when you're being disgusting, for the sake of being disgusting, I respond appropriately. <coughs>
2: I think that you and I are pretty forward-thinking people, for the most part. But I don't need a filmmaker to show me things that are shocking in order to get some reaction out of me. I don't need some lesson or some... I, like, I don't I don't need to have a reaction shaken out of me in order for me to be more accepting for things.
1: Well, it's exploitive and it's manipulative. There are movies that are dramas in PG-13 that do the exact same thing, mm-hmm. but they do that on an emotional level yeah. where they pay it forward. I always reference this one. It manipulates you into feeling awe and then terrible and it wants you to cry so it exploits all these moments in the film just so you cry In the same way gore type film uh-huh. will have these moments just to get you to vomit yeah you can't help from reacting that way yeah and it's there to shock
2: you right but like I'm already cool <laughs>
1: The next movie comes up, and it's a welcome breath of fresh air for a while, especially after the head humping, and that's Death Proof. Thunderbolt. Buckle up, because a new
3: kind of terror is coming at 200 miles per hour. Ladies, we're going to have some fun. There are a few things as fetching as a bruised ego on a beautiful angel.
4: Is that cowboy wisdom?
3: I'm not a cowboy, Pam. I'm a stuntman. Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. This car is 100% Death Proof. Only to get the benefit of it, honey, you really need to be sitting in my seat.
1: (laughs) I say that because there's a little screw-up with the film at the beginning, deliberately, I suppose. And it gives the alternate title to this film, which is Thunderbolt. Now, you have some issues with Death Proof.
2: I do when i first saw death proof and i've seen this maybe three or four times now the first time i saw it i really hated it really hated it it wasn't like oh that's Tarantino's worst movie you know like a lot of people were saying right it was because these girls are completely unlikable it's especially the first set of girls with jungle julia and and shanna and butterfly these girls i cannot stand these girls and you know they get killed and and you're supposed to maybe even be like yay they got killed because they're so annoying the second group of girls is a little bit better but anyway my opinion of death proof has changed in the last 10 years i like it a lot more than i used to go into that in a minute but in short i don't find it as annoying anymore So, Andrew, what's Death Proof about?
1: A gaggle of girls hanging out, talking like sailors. Just, I don't know. This is a question that I have. When you're out with your girlfriends, maybe you guys can answer this in the audience. Email us and tell me and tell me I'm an idiot for not knowing this. (laughs) Or that, what? Nobody talks like that. Do you and your girlfriends, you can answer me right now, LB. Audience, answer me later. Talk amongst your girlfriends with language that would make a sailor blush, constantly talking about who you made out with or did you F them, et cetera, and so on.
2: No. Okay, so this is also a problem that came up when sex in the city gained notoriety. I've never experienced women to talk like that because, and it's not a, like, oh, we're not sex positive or or anything. It's not a case of that. It's just, it's none of your business, really. Like, I'm not a prude, but it is literally none of your business. So I'm not going to bring up or ask Ask about anyone's sex life.
1: If you had a friend who went out on a date, first date, you would oh. say, So how was your date the other night? But would you fish for did you get w- to whatever base?
2: I possibly would say, Oh, did you did you kiss goodnight or something? But you know you know, something just to get a better idea of how the date went, or like maybe this could be a, a, a blossoming relationship. Right. But I in no way would ever be like, Who was on top? I was straddling him. What else? This is so unrealistic to me, and part of the problem I have with Death Proof, and part of the problem that I have with Quentin Tarantino is the thing of men writing dialogue for women. Is this dialogue something that they actually think is representative of how women speak, or is it a sort of fantasy of how they would like women to speak?
1: Well, I think because he eats and breathes and lives and apparently craps out movies, (laughs) Tarantino probably has this um, alternate perception of reality. He sees it through a movie camera's lens, which means it's not exactly real. Mm -hmm. My hunch is that. it is a fantasy as a culmination of years of watching exploitation films and what a strong female character is Mm -hmm. and maybe it's even a satire as this is what men want in a woman they want a woman to sound exactly like them and behave exactly like men except that's not what i want
2: okay and i
1: am representative of every man (laughs) except i'm not because I'm such a weirdo, and I'm, like, so way over there, that, <laughs> over there, and I'm pointing in that direction. Uh-huh. You guys can see me, and everybody else that I know of is way over there. In fact, well, I've only known one guy to actually talk in this kind of way. hmm Other, th- okay, two guys. One I'm related to, another guy I met in the last three years. As the only people that I knew that were actually really, like, really open about <laughs> okay. their uh, conquests or whatever. Uh-huh. So... As these women are written, it seems to be a bit of... It's problematic, because it sounds like Tarantino doesn't really know how these strong women characters would be in real life. Except, in the second half of the film, he seems to know more.
2: Yeah, it's strange. Especially the first group of girls. The dialogue is just dripping of Quentin Tarantino. Especially uh, Sydney Poitier's delivery. Yeah. Okay, mean girl in a high school movie, you through having a tantrum? I'm
3: not
0: having a tantrum. Yes, you are. You've been in the car all of two seconds and you're already cursing at me. I am
2: not cursing at you.
1: She's a very abrasive character. Yeah. Very haughty character. Yeah. Into herself. Butterfly is less so. She's slightly firecrackery, slightly feisty, but she's also a bit shy, mm-hmm. which she's actually the most second most relatable character there, I think. I think Rose McGowan's character in this, as the hippie chick, is also quite well
2: done. Yeah. There are times when they're sitting around and I literally expect them to just be saying Dick, 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 <laughs> You know? like It's just all of his dialogue is so reminiscent of previous dialogue. And I kind of hate it now. Like, I'm not ever excited to see a Quentin Tarantino movie anymore. Aww. I, well, I enjoy it visually most of the time, but I don't want to hear it. Just turn the sound off and I'm fine. <laughs>
1: It, yeah. I, I would think that an exception would be Kill Bill
2: Yeah, okay, yeah Yeah, it doesn't really have a lot of that None of it I really hate Jungle Julia I hate her so much She's so, like, pretentious And she's trying to get a record label and she's, Yeah, yeah so she's, she's a
1: pretentious she's, character That's she, the word she's, Yeah,
2: she's got a stuffed shirt It I really bothers me And also what I really hate Is that she is so catty Against Rose McGowan's character Mm-hmm you See that pretty girl sitting by herself at the bar? Who, the dirty hippie? yeah she's not a hippie she might as well be a hippie do you know what just happened to her? no but i know she's a skinny fake blonde bitch <laughs> for no reason like like that's a that's another problem i have with uh, representations of women and uh, this is totally a whole other beast but uh, like how women treat each other in real life and the the celebrations of of cattiness and films and i'm not going to go into that i'll save that for when i talk about the craft later on <laughs> that'll be a few months down the road but anyway suffice it to say i was pretty glad when these women died
1: oh i don't know but I like Butterfly.
2: this viewing i didn't have such a strong reaction
1: oh uh, like Freud. yeah uh well they die at the hand of or the wheels of uh-huh. stuntman mike
4: so what's your name icy
3: stuntman mike
4: Stuntman Mike's your name.
3: You ask anybody.
4: Hey Warren, who is this guy?
3: Stuntman Mike.
4: And who the hell is Stuntman Mike? He's
3: Stuntman.
1: Who's played by Kurt Russell? To, in the first half, perfect charm. And then he undoes that charm by being really dorky. Uh-huh. But he's so charming. All of his scenes. Yeah, he's just oozing charm, and you would think he's like a bad, Big Bad Wolf kind of dangerous kind of charming guy, just by how he looks. He's got the scar on his mm-hmm. face, and he's got the pompadour.
2: He does mention that he's a wolf.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, that part where you, you said he's really dorky? like yeah. Partially, you know, the part where he kind of uh, goes into John Wayne.
3: You know how people say, you're okay in my book, or in my book, that's no good. Well, I actually have.
2: A book. Kurt Russell did that because they were doing that scene over and over so many times. He was starting to get bored. And so he just did one take where he was like, I'm gonna do John Wayne and then you know, Quentin was like Perfect. Please keep doing this.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> Well, it's perfect. He does it and he does a perfect impression. I'm kind of jealous, except I don't like John Wayne.
2: <laughs> but he has such a great voice.
1: Nah, uh, I don't know. Iconic, okay. Yeah, iconic. Yeah, very recognizable if you've ever seen one John Wayne thing. If you've Mm -hmm. ever seen Gremlins 2, you'll recognize John Wayne's voice. But here he does so charming uh, a performance... And he ends up being, um, as they say, an axe murderer or a slasher.
2: Death Proof is weird because the first part of the film, Kurt Russell as stuntman Mike, he's not exactly the villain. It's more of the car. Like the car is a character.
1: So it's like a shark. When it, when you yeah. see the shark in the ocean, you're seeing a shark fin, and it's like, Donna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Butterfly sees the car out in front of one place. She just sees a profile of this menacing car, and she takes note. Yeah. And then she sees it again in the parking lot, and she's like, wait a minute. It's like the shark is getting closer. Yeah,
2: yeah. So the car is stalking them, and that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, and I actually like the extended cut, the European cut, because you actually get more stalker moments. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not keen on being a stalker. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But you get more insight into what's going on. You can Uh even possibly try to find out clues. Yeah. He is a stuntman. These people do work for movie directors or no movie directors, and there's always some sort of movie connection with him and the girls that he's stalking. One girl in the first half of this is trying to date a movie director. So there's your link, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So he hunts them down and then wrecks into them with his death-proof car, and he survives. Right. And Earl McGraw, who we first saw in From Dust Till Dawn. Date ahead. Mm-hmm. He shows up with son number one. That's his real son, by the way. And he's got this big old hunch.
3: Well, what we have here is a case of vehicle homicide. That old boy in murdered them pretty little gals. I mean, he used a car, not a hatchet, but they did just the same.
2: Yeah, he says it's a sex thing, which it probably is in some weird way, but he can't really prove it. So he's just like, okay, well, we're not going to charge him, but we're going to ship him out of Texas.
1: Cut to second half of the film takes place in Lebanon, Tennessee. Except it doesn't. It's shot in California. Every time I've watched this movie, I've been trying to figure it out. Does this look like Tennessee to you? Because we lived in Tennessee for a long time.
2: We lived very close to Lebanon, Tennessee. I went to college at Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, which is right down the road from Lebanon.
1: And so I've always asked the question, and you go, I don't know, not really. Not really.
2: (laughs) Kind of... Except... No. And it's always
1: like that, until I looked this up last time watching it, and it's somewhere in California that they tried desperately to match to Tennessee. Yeah. And you can tell the foothills in the distance are not the same.
2: Yeah, it's not exactly the same, but it's close enough.
1: And it's also not lush enough. It's not green enough.
2: No, well, the the parts where they're driving to Jasper's house to take a look at that Dodge Challenger, those scenes are more lush and look more like... Tennessee backcountry sure, than okay. the like on the highway parts. Right, and I've
1: t- actually been talking about on the highway parts. Yeah. So, but what are you talking about going to Jasper's house?
2: Okay, so the second part of Death Proof is uh, we're following another group of women who, uh, two of them are stunt women. One's an actress and one is a hairdresser for a movie set. And they've decided that they want to check out this car for sale. As of yesterday, for sale in this town. Some
3: dude is selling a stock 1970 Dodge Challenger with a 440 engine and a white paint job. Oh, uh, Kowalski. Kowalski from Vanishing Point. Mate, it's a classic. If I can get this guy to let me drive it without him, I will blow the doors off
1: that bitch. What's Vanishing Point? What's Vanishing Point? Vanishing Point is a fantastic film, the original. Viggo Mortensen starred in a remake that was shot for Fox TV. Why? Anyway. (laughs) Not the same. The original is pretty great. I always got them confused. Tulane Blacktop, which is pretty boring, with Vanishing Point. I was like, yeah. why am I going to want to watch Vanishing Point? Is that really boring? Oh, wait. there are two different titles. I'm an idiot.
2: <laughs> okay. Death Proof also is the movie that introduced the world to the adorable Zoe Bell.
1: Oh, yeah. Stunt
2: stuntwoman extraordinaire and really cute Kiwi lady.
1: She's just a peach.
2: So they go meet the guy and they want to test drive the car so that they can do a crazy stunt called Ship's Mast. Yeah. What did you say after the last time? Look, I know what I said. What did you say? I know I said we shouldn't do this no, again. No, but... you didn't say we shouldn't. You said we ain't ever gonna do that again. Yeah, but but I... my ass. You said not only are we never gonna play ship's mast again, but you also said if you ever do what you try to do now, to not only refuse, but that I had permission to physically restrain your ass if necessary. Now, did you or did you not say that? What? No, no,
4: no, no.
3: Answer the question, motherfucker. Did you or did you not say that? Yes, I said that. However, whatever which are however.
1: But they leave behind as collateral, the actress. Mary? Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays the actress and they leave her behind and she's dressed in a cheerleader outfit.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, that's kind of how they convince him to yeah. let them test drive the car. Which
1: has horrible implications because he's the same character as in Kill Bill, yeah. who visits the bride while she's in the hospital room in order to... Have Congress? Yes.
2: Rosario Dawson said that she fought really hard with Quentin to let her like throw Lee a set of keys or something as they were leaving, like, uh, because get out of there. yeah, because she felt that Abernathy, the character, like, really, like that would be a really strong character trait of her. Is like, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna help you. I have your back. But Quinto was like, No, 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 no. This is the genre. Exploitation. Just go with it.
1: I see. See, I've always had a problem with the mm-hmm. girls leaving the one girl yeah. there. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I really want to know what happens to her. Like, if there was ever to be a sequel to Death Proof, I would watch it just to see if Lee got away from Jasper
1: yeah and what that would have been like yeah cuz uh, it's kind of how cute how they play it Where, well he's not cute I can't stand how Jasper is performed <laughs> <laughs> whatever I can't stand yeah. it. it's definitely how he's directed maybe he's a better actor than that maybe. but but then he's standing over her and she simply says "Go." <laughs> and that's cute how yeah. she performs it. I am a fan of Mary Elizabeth Winston. I like most of the movie roles that I've seen her in. Mm-hmm. She's one of those that is a genre staple. Except she doesn't do dumb genre movies. Yeah. Even like what you might consider her dumbest are pretty strong. Like the Final Destination movie. Or, pl- or Black
2: Christmas. Black Christmas.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't consider that dumb. I will go on record and defend Black Christmas 2006 till my dying day.
2: It's enjoyable.
1: But yes, I'm. I'm with Rosario. I would totally want That character I would be like Yeah Okay go ahead Do it I would shoot it at least Yeah okay And if it doesn't work For the scene Then I would cut it out
2: So what ensues Is They take this car out They do the stunt where Zoe is strapped to the hood, which is a reference to an exploitation film called Fair Game, which was made in Australia a long time ago.
1: 1986.
2: Okay, had a woman strapped to the grill of a truck, semi-nude if not fully. So Zoe is hanging on to couple of belts. With her back to the
1: windshield. Yeah,
2: and they're driving really fast and it's really fun and cool and she really loves it. Like, this is a thing that they really enjoy doing except they know that it's, like, hella dangerous.
1: The most dangerous.
2: And as this is happening, Stuntman Mike who has been stalking them. Yeah. Taking photos and...
1: Right, which in the theatrical cut we see only a moment where he stalks them just Mm -hmm. with the camera once. Yeah. And then he shows up when they're driving in this scene. Now, in the extended cut, there's this longer sequence, which I really appreciate. You get to hear Mary Elizabeth Winstead sing a song that was actually in the previous half of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And she's singing along to it on her Walkman or her iPod and...
2: <laughs> what year is it?
1: <laughs> right. And the scene is black and white, and you can only hear her voice singing, and this is where you get some real menace from Stuntman Mike, where he just walks up to them when they don't know that he's there because Rosario's got this sleeping mask on, and he tickles her foot, and then he acts like, the
3: oh, hell are my Here they are!
1: hmm And all this stuff is really good build-up. Yeah. Again, the more scenes of Stuntman Mike help the movie gain its menace. Yes.
2: So he starts road-stalking them. He drives up really fast behind them, starts ramming them. There's a big, long chase scene.
1: And then they both spin out. Yeah. And this is the interesting point here. He gets out of his car and <laughs> says,
4: Hey! woo <woo-hoo. laughs> Hey, ladies! That was fun!
3: Which
1: is interesting because it seems like he's just going to drive off.
3: Well!
2: Adios.
1: And he's like, that was it. I wasn't gonna kill you guys this time. Yeah, it's all because like, he totally murdered some ladies the other time.
2: Right, fourteen months ago. But now it's all a game. Like, like, I don't know. I think maybe he has respect for these group of women
1: because they really gave him a run for the, his money.
2: Yeah, and they're stunt women. They know what they're doing
1: and he's like all
2: right yeah so it is just maybe an exercise and fun to him at this point Uh, stuntman mike's motivations are are really mysterious to me like i don't really understand his character i mean i get it okay i'm not dumb but he's like this cowardly lion sort of thing it's so bizarre kurt russell said that he brought the fact that stuntman mike started crying like after he got shot yeah after Kim shoots him he
1: pops up shoots him in the arm after he's like hey
2: yeah
1: and then like he he's, freaks out yeah
2: he freaks out he starts crying he's wailing like he has this total adverse reaction and he brought that to the character No. what else is interesting is Kurt Russell wasn't exactly the first choice for stuntman Mike who was? Mickey Rourke
1: no 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 yeah sir. no
2: It would be such a completely different character if it was Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke to me, he he always seems like he's got something up his sleeve. And that something up his sleeve is sort of like a sexual prowess. I'm not saying that I'm sexually attracted to Mickey Rourke, but there's something about him that just...
1: You've seen Wild Orchid way too many times.
2: (laughs) I have not seen Wild Orchid once. Is that way too many times? I don't know. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. You need to see Wild Orchid negative times, right? Maybe there's this certain like menace and 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 sexuality that Mickey Rourke kind of oozes out of you know. And He's
1: by default dangerous.
2: Yeah. So I don't see him being too dynamic in the role of stuntman Mike. He so would be, be
1: too on the nose.
2: Yeah, I'm really glad that Kurt Russell was chosen and that Kurt Russell brought this extra element, this confusing element, mm-hmm. because it makes the character so much more interesting. And you have to like constantly be also, thinking about what it is that motivates him.
1: Yeah, almost feel for him. Yeah, it's the moment thing. he starts wailing, you're like, oh, oh, oh wait, he's, he's a <laughs> He's actually a human character. Yeah. And he's wailing, and he's like, oh no, this is just amazing. It gets comical, finally, when they catch up to him, and they pull him out of the car. Just before they pull him out of the car, his wailing is almost a joke. Yeah,
2: it's exaggerated. Death Proof is, for sure, a car movie, but also a rape revenge movie.
1: Even though there's no rape in it,
2: There's metaphorical rape. There's no actual physical. Well, there
1: definitely is assault.
2: The car is sexualized. When the girls, when they're getting their revenge... Yeah. Kim, Tracy Toms... Oh, right. ...is very sexual in what she's saying. You know, like, I'm going to bust a nut on you, or whatever she says. So it's like the car is used... As the instrument of rape, in a, a metaphorical way.
1: Okay, I guess.
2: So when they do their revenge, they beat the crap out of them. And then the end title comes up. The, the scene freezes. They're all jumping in the air. They're exalted because they've just beaten this guy up. And it says, the end.
1: And it cuts to black. And then you hear this great song called Chick Habit by April March. plays both versions. There's a French version and an English version. But before it gets to all the credits cuts back to them standing there, and Rosario's character comes over and full-on murders the guy's face. He stomps on it, and his face caves in.
2: It's overkill.
1: But it's treated as, take that. Mm-hmm. Which I would say is akin to something like I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. Those types of rape revenge films, woman getting revenge on her assaulters where, let's just say, instead of doing unto him as he did to them, mm-hmm. she does all the way and even farther. Mm-hmm. Which is a trope of exploitation films. Yeah. It's an odd one. Some people say that that's a feminist film. Certain men seem to find that to be sexually gratifying to them, that not she's raped, but that she gets their comeuppance on the men in such a brutal kind of way. Hmm. Almost uh, in a dominatrix sort of attitude.
2: And uh-huh.
1: That's how it seems just by being part of these grindhouse type forums and stuff. It's really odd.
2: But You and I, we're nice people. Try to be. We have negative reactions to revenge stories because we're not the kind of people who celebrate violence or celebrate...
1: Celebrate real-type violence. Celebrate real motivations and stuff. Okay, so I really like the John Wick movies, and that's a revenge film. Mm -hmm. But But it's totally, completely unrealistic. There's nothing realistic to it except for the kind of special effects that they have nowadays.
2: Yeah, there's something righteous about that story, too, and I don't know, maybe it's because the dog died or something and I'm biased.
1: And Yeah, that's what it is. (laughs) Everything else just looks cool.
2: Yeah. Okay, so John Wick is not a mean-spirited character. Some characters in revenge stories just seem like they're mean-spirited, and they're going to be killing in the most gruesome way...
1: Or you can go like this, the Punisher. Now, the Punisher, Uh as depicted in every single iteration of the Punisher, is a sympathetic, murdering madman. Right. The way he's sympathetic is that his family has been murdered. Yes. And he is so sad and troubled by it. And the actors from Dolph Lundgren to Thomas Jane to Ray Stevenson and John Berendahl, they all portray the character as a broken man, as a man who's trying to cope. And they go Batman, except beyond Batman, and murder the bad guys.
2: Uh, That's not to say that a rape victim isn't a sympathetic character, because obviously they all are. They are. There's a line, though. It's it's the line that makes it exploitation. Glee. Really? Yeah. the, The glee, the the joy of killing. And I don't see killing in any way as joyous. And I don't care if it's revenge. You know, I don't care if it's justice being served. Killing is not an act to be proud of.
1: So, as the main character, John Wick he's doing the deed he's not feeling good about it
2: right exactly and that's the main difference it's like you know if god forbid i'm ever put in this situation but if i were to be in this situation where i needed to avenge someone's death and i had to murder a person i would do it the quickest way possible like i would just be like okay i'm done with this
1: right well in Death proof, they do, they do it really quickly. They beat him up, sure, but then she stomps on his face and I don't think anybody can survive that kind of stomp as the face caves in the way it does. But it's shot in such a way that there's Glee, Mm -hmm. which is successfully representative of Grindhouse or Drive-In Fair. Yeah, yeah. But man. I just wish they did not have that scene.
2: It really is better just left as we punch the crap out of this guy and we're happy.
1: It's open-ended.
2: And that's that's it. Heck,
1: there could even be a sequel. Or Earl McGraw could have finally... Heard about it and busted him again or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, it kind of is interesting. Like maybe I really think that Stuntman Mike is such a dynamic character that I would like to see him again, and and now I can't because Abernathy stomped his face in.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's things to love about these movies. Yeah. And there's things to not love. That's one of them. I overall really do appreciate these movies. So we watched all versions of the film, and... I think both of our opinions have changed over the years as to which one we prefer. Not just yeah. of the extended cuts, but of the overall two films that are involved in each.
2: Yeah. I used to really like Planet Terror a lot. I kind of find Planet Terror to be a little bit boring. Now. Tedious. Once you've seen it, the first time it's really amazing and and great and f- exciting and fun, and you don't know where it's going, and it's just crazy and and cool. Then you watch it again to like fully absorb it, and then after that, yeah, it's tedious. Whereas with Death Proof, my opinion of it has really really changed like it i think is my favorite of these two now
1: yeah mine too and it's a much more complicated film
2: it really really is and you know, the first time you watch it you might not pick up on these things and the thing about it is okay i know we mentioned earlier how we're not exactly 100 percent on every exploitation film ever especially, right. especially me but i do know that death proof is very nuanced in its references and that's kind of part of its brilliance and the thing about the girls it doesn't bother me as much as it did i think even though it still does bother me in a way like it doesn't take away from the film like i understand that that's just their characters and it's not supposed to be a representation of how women are exactly right Which I really took offense to the first time, I think. I was like, man, this is not how women are. This is not how girls talk. This is not how we behave. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like, so I kind of understand more that it's more of a satire. It's more of a, like, kind of a joke. And I've lightened up about it. So I think as a whole, it's a much better film than I had thought a long time ago.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I just always have a negative reaction, not to strong women, but to mean girls
2: yeah okay well that's the other thing is the women who are strong women take on the characteristics of a man and that's how they gain their strength and that's really naive you and know? i'm
1: thinking maybe he was writing it based on exploitation not necessarily that that's what he thinks women are because well he doesn't as, as we saw in kill bill the bride is much more faceted yeah than these girls Yeah. So I think he was just really referencing hard, that kind of chick.
2: (laughs) Probably. But I don't hate it anymore, so there's that.
1: Well, I never hated it, but I like it a lot more. And yeah, Planet Terror lesser, but uh, the 14-year-old and everybody would love Planet Terror Mm -hmm. over Death Proof. And I think Mm -hmm. that's actually how I was watching it back then, was from that whole, if I was a kid, this would be amazing.
2: Yeah, that, and it seemed less abrasive. I mean, I mean, okay, there's a lot of like really gruesome stuff in Planet Terror. There's a lot of gore, and it's basically the grossest movie I've ever seen, but somehow I'm not offended by it. It's right. not It's not your uh, society body horror or...
1: Uh, Let's be gross to be gross, or an yeah, August yeah, yeah, Underground yeah. movie where it's just found footage of serial killing.
2: Right, so... It, There's Um, a lot of goo
1: and a lot of bulbous, gross, blistering makeup, and it's just really disgusting. Uh Uh-huh. And it's kind of funny in that way. Yeah. So, yeah, there are things to love about both of these movies. We like Death Proof more. I'm glad we watched them again ten years after the fact.
2: I am too, yes.
1: Let's do it another ten years.
2: 20th anniversary of House (laughs) And our marriage. Right. Hopefully. (laughs) I just jinxed us. I, I totally have a problem with jinxing things. No, you don't. I do. No, you don't. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating or a review.
1: Leave us a review. We really need them.
2: Go to our Facebook and give us a like. Go to our Twitter and give us a follow. Retweet. Do all those awesome things that people do for other people because they support them and our friends.
1: But you know what? Only if you want to.
2: So until next time, we bid you night. Au revoir.
1: Good night, everybody. This podcast is brought to you by Ouch My Ego. Visit ouchmyego.com. Ooh, 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 ooh. That doesn't make any sense.